You're listening to the Virtual World Society Nexton Podcast. For this episode, we invited Lance Powell Jr., Chief Technology Officer at VEDEX Solutions, expert in cognitive science, social VR specialist, and Remio project manager and QA specialist. To get involved with our organization, head over to virtualworldsociety.org. What is going on, everybody? It is Maxwell with the Nextant Podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today with yet another incredibly fascinating guest. That's what I love about virtual reality. We have no shortage of amazing people in this industry working, building, creating, doing everything you can imagine. And I'm here today with Lance Powell, Chief Technology Officer at VEDEX Solutions, expert in cognitive science, social VR specialist, and project manager and QA specialist at Remio. Lance, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Now, it's a pleasure, Max. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just ready to to get started. So. Well, I'm so, so happy that you are that you're here. You have a very interesting background, especially your career and the positions that you have now. How did you get started in the world of virtual reality? Because everybody's story is so different. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, um, I, I do know some people with veteran status that uh, this is before the um, the, the second wave of VR, as you would say, when uh, Oculus uh, came out with its uh, developer kit headsets around 2016. So um, so uh, I, I followed that wave, basically. So in Istanbul, Turkey, which is where I live at the moment, uh, there was a, a, a flagship uh, VR lab called uh, VR First. And I was there essentially on opening day at the beginning of 2016, and I decided it was amazing, and this is exactly where I want to be. And uh, pretty quickly, uh, that turned into like, how, how can we use it as a way to connect uh, to people? Because it seemed like the, that's obviously the way it's going. So in that same year, uh, we had the first uh, major social VR platforms come out, including Altspace, VRChat, and Rec Room, and the three of them are still around. Uh, High Fidelity and Sansar came soon after, but they're not around so much anymore. Uh, but uh, this happened at the same time that I was pursuing a master's degree at uh, Bosphorus University or Bo Boazici University in Turkey. And I had to come up with a thesis topic. So I said, you know what, social VR is amazing. Uh, how can I contribute? Like, what can I do here? So uh, I ended up doing a thesis on the, a framework for harassment in social VR, just like uh, what it is, how it manifests, and what we can do to uh, detect it or prevent it. And like from then on, I just never gave up. I uh, like uh, I lived through several uh, years of VR. So like uh, back in the day, they would say 2017 is the year of VR. 2018 is the year of VR, but finally uh, that came true uh, within the last couple of years. And I've, I've just had many more conversations and had a lot more opportunities come my way. And uh, that's partially due to the pandemic, but, um, but yeah, and that's my history. 
Yeah, well, it's an incredible history, to say the least, especially considering, you know, you had row, you uh, had helped ride that wave of VR coming to the consumer, not only just for regular average everyday consumers, but as creators, content creators and people who want to design and build, study, research, all of that. And I love the idea behind your thesis. I want to talk about that. So you had written a, a, a thesis on the topic of harassment and virtual reality and how we can reduce it. Is there is there a reason that you found that there were individuals, not just in virtual reality, but in technology in general, who use the Internet for for malicious purposes? Is there a background to those to those people? Uh, well, the um, the major contributing factor in a lot of these cases is a lack of accountability. Uh, because you're allowed to be anonymous, because obviously there are things that you could say in an online or social media environment or social VR environment uh, that you wouldn't say in your day-to-day -day life, because it will lead to uh, like many, uh, many conflicts. Uh, so th there is that side of it. People are drawn to uh, areas where they can vent, uh, li like whatever... Um, like a toxic um, behaviors they've absorbed throughout their lives and, and, and just let go. And so it's a persistent danger, like uh, especially where people are um, an anonymous, like, like they can join under a pseudonym. So uh, when I was starting out, uh, my, my first platform of choice was uh, Altspace VR and harassment was something that I observed early on. So it's not something that always happened. Uh, actually, I would say back back at the time, most of the time, uh, it, there were very pleasant conversations, interactions, and events. But I would find that, especially in certain parts of the day, in certain parts of the week, uh, people would come out, come out. So uh, I actually ended up ended up uh, planning my thesis around that. So uh, I would. Uh, for me, it was like early morning on a Saturday, uh, but back in the United States, it's uh, like late Friday night, like after people have had a few drinks and, and they want to uh, like uh, let loose with uh, the abuse. So I, I just ended up for my thesis going there regularly just to um, observe what was happening and just do a, a lot of uh, qualitative research about what they were saying and and yeah, just like getting into it firsthand. Yeah. And when you were doing that, I didn't do it. Yeah, it's it's well, it's it's interesting to hear about the the times that like there's there's specific times to when people are, are going to come out. So you're saying Friday night when they've had a few drinks. That's interesting that they would drink and say, uh, let me hop in a VR for a second. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it was uh, so many people because in 2017, when I was actually doing the research, uh, the uh, audience for VR was very limited. And mm -hmm. actually, uh, we, we didn't have so many young people in social VR either. Because at mm -hmm. the moment, if you go into uh, VR chat or rec room, especially, uh, you're going to find like tons and tons of kids. It, it's just yeah. ubiquitous. Uh, but that was not the case uh, from 2016 to 2018, because uh, we had high-end headsets uh, connected to um, a VR-ready PC. So that self-selects for older people, but the harassment was also there <laughs> uh, because, like, again, if, if if I get my my joy or my kicks from uh, being toxic in a public setting, 
then then VR is perfect for that. So, yeah, well, it's it's unfortunate that there are individuals that are going to take that toxicity and bring it to VR, which is such a beautiful technology. And in your research, did you find any positives that there were uh, individuals who came to social VR for the purpose of making connections with people and just being kind and wanting to get that kindness back? Did you find that as well? All the time, all the time. Uh, so, uh, for example, I had, uh, for example, in I think it was 2017, uh, they had the first uh, wedding uh, to happen in, in social VR, uh, not in the metaverse, because there were some that happened in Second Life or whatever. But in Old Space VR, they had the first uh, wedding, like in the, the, the new modern social, uh, social virtual reality. And they, they highlighted the fact that uh, it was the place where uh, they, they, they connected, it was a place that was very important to them. And they wanted to share this ceremony with uh, the broader community because it had been very much a group of friends at the time. And it's something that I've seen many, many times. Uh, I, if you like do like some quick YouTube searches of videos about uh, VR chat and social anxiety, uh, what you'll see is just like testimonials of people who said, you know what, I was really shy. I didn't know how to behave around people uh, or start conversations. But um, when I got into VR chat or whatever platform, I was able to try things out. And if I talked to somebody and it was awkward, it didn't go well, like what are the stakes? I mean, I can just leave. I can just like click a few buttons and I'm in a different place with different people. So yeah. it was, it was a training ground for a lot of people who were chronically shy. So, uh, so yeah, when I think about all the, the toxicity and abuse, yes, uh, that is uh, the downside. And we, we need to like be aware that that's a persistent reality for many of these communities. And we need to give people the tools and the knowledge to combat that. But at the same time, it, a lot of people have greatly uh, improve their lives uh, through these uh, social connections that started in VR and also extended into um, material reality. So uh, yeah. I, I've seen many stories of that too. Yeah, I love the positivity that comes out of virtual reality and just technology in general, because oftentimes we see the negative, 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 and we don't have a, as much of an opportunity to see the positives that come out of it. So do you think that virtual reality in many aspects, um, just the technology itself, not even just social VR, but, um, you know, different use cases of it, such as exposure therapy, things like that. Do you think that VR for meditation for humanity you think it can be used for a lot of good such as therapeutic purposes yes absolutely uh, I always highlight the um, the contribution to uh, to mental health that can come with a social virtual reality uh, either through calming environments that you choose to be in or just through the uh, the friendships and connections that you make uh, over time uh, in the last Two years, of course, we had the pandemic. A lot of people were locked in their homes and the uh, the community that was already in social VR, I mean, they had in many ways the answer already, like, or at least a, a coping mechanism for, um, for the isolation that they felt uh, was through uh, meeting people in shared virtual environments and just doing normal things, like uh, whether that's going to a virtual bar 
to have a few drinks or playing a few games or just finding a, a really beautifully made hangout place. Uh, that is a way to get through uh, these hard periods of isolation. So uh, it, it served me very well and also the community. And uh, like I actually tried to tell other people as well. It's like if, if you're having a hard time, um, th this, is, this is a way to deal with it. It's not a replacement. Like, and, and as I said, it is a coping mechanism, but, uh, but it, is, it has a lot of value for people who are lonely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, and I think that it does such a great job of connecting individuals who previously would have probably never met, you know, new friendships, new relationships, things like that. We see that all the time with VR chat, alt space, um, you know, in these different, these different platforms and these different apps. Now in your career, especially as a professional in in tech and the way you see things going where do you see virtual reality progressing in the next five to ten years because things have drastically changed in virtual reality even in the past five years because we had pre-pandemic vr which was a lot of it was experimental you know people were kind of like oh this is a cool technology and then all of a sudden pandemic vr which is oh my god this is probably the only way to properly communicate with each other and now we have a hybrid vr where it's like all right we understand there's advantages to zoom remote work virtual reality there's tons of advantages to the multiple uh different facets of of technology so where do you think things are are going in the next even just five years given we've seen how it can change so drastically so quickly so uh within my two positions i um i'm looking at the domains of education and also what it means to business so i can talk about both of those and then also some of the more negative social aspects yeah. uh, that I find in, in other domains. But uh, for education, I find it, again, a great way to supplement your learning, uh, something that you can, uh, you can give to people that engages them uh, culturally and also uh, teaches through like uh, training exercises or just uh, through sitting down and having conversation uh, with with other people in other universities around the world. So uh, you're, you're not limited to your immediate environment to find like uh, new ideas that you were looking for and just just make the, the magic of education happen. So I think in the next five years, uh, most uh, most universities and colleges and maybe even high schools will have uh, dedicated um, uh, dedicated uh, XR or immersive laboratory, um, as long as uh, like the, the local budget allows for it, of course. Um, and, and I'm also working to uh, to help where uh, the budget doesn't allow for it uh, to to bring them into uh, the uh, educational community in XR. Um, so yeah, I, I think that will play a more and more prominent role. But again, uh, I don't see it as a, a replacement necessary because uh, th there is something that happens like when physically uh, being around other people that doesn't happen in, in VR. So, um, so yeah, I see that continuing. Uh, within business, uh, we primarily have been using it as an experience of uh, team building and meeting for um, things like uh, professional development and so forth. Uh, so it's a matter of convenience and reduced cost, like uh, rather than having people uh, travel, which is becoming increasingly hard with uh, like higher gas prices and so forth. So it will continue to be a tool to uh, 
to uh, supplement like what you do day to day in um, in your workplace. So um, the um, the consistency we find across uh, business and education is that it is just like part of what we will do. Like it isn't all of what we will do and it never will be like, especially because there are still some accessibility issues with people who are uncomfortable or sick. So uh, we, we can't, we can't just have uh, XR take over until we can uh, make sure everybody is included, but yeah, it, it will just be an added component uh, of our lives, which will be normalized mostly. So it's pretty common. It's not normalized yet, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, so just increased normalization, I guess, is a short answer. Yeah, um, I love that. I love that because I've I've asked so many different VR professionals, what is your perspective on what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years? And I've gotten a lot of different answers. Yours was the realest that I've heard. I mean, it's it <laughs> it sounds so normal because when I think about it, too, every technology you you understand patterns so well it's it's really amazing so kudos to you because it's it's we we get these new technologies and i'm realizing oh my god yes it just becomes normalized you know we 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 have phones they come up you know they're these weird things that keep getting smaller and smaller and then now we have screens on them now we have touch screens i remember holding a touch screen for the first time on a phone and going like this is weird or holding a tablet and going like why don't i need this or holding you know uh, an advanced computer and going like why do i need this and then all of a sudden it's it's it no longer becomes a luxury it becomes a necessity i mean the internet you know originally there were a, not a lot of professionals on board with the internet which is so shocking to me years later knowing that we use and need the internet for everything and i'm very curious about especially your perspective with these technologies and virtual reality technologies and and kind of how it how it progresses do you think that on on the business side of things that mm -hmm. these companies have a responsibility to evolve with the technology in the way of making equipment that is more financially uh, affordable, making uh, equipment that it has better security, right? It's not easily as as hackable, just making their equipment better at softwares, uh, making uh, more improved, better software that is faster and more efficient. Do you think it's the company's responsibility or the consumer's responsibility to tell the company, hey, this is what we need. This is, this is what our needs are. Okay, so the uh, the thing that you're describing uh, has a, a big uh, corollary in the uh, the internet because uh, the internet for, at first belonged to a handful of companies uh, like America Online and, and things like that. And like over time, as you said, uh, since it's become a necessity to actually uh, do your job and like a, almost any job that uh, that is becoming considered a utility so uh, that there are projects um, like um, like Elon Musk project to uh, to get the internet to to all parts of the world who, who can't access it yet and even some parts of the US they still need to build up an infrastructure uh, to do that so um, as this becomes increasingly used uh, when we begin to see advantages to it. Like, um, like uh, I, I don't think anybody has the, the secret sauce yet. I think the, uh, the biggest advantage to VR within education and also business, uh, to be honest, is just uh, the increased engagement. 
that you get from it. Like it, it's it's interesting. You have more natural ways of interacting, um, but also the 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 spaces like like it just offers you a lot more as far as uh, interactivity. So as there are increased advantages to that, uh, people won't want to be left behind. So they'll look to their uh, to the businesses and even to governments like to help ensure that everybody has some form of access. So in the end, it could mean that, uh, that there's a divergence in like the type of user. So uh, at the moment we could say standalone versus PC VR, uh, like tethered PC VR because yeah. uh, PC VR can do much more uh, graphically. Uh, but, um, but of course, like standalone is taking over. So there, there might be like high-end standalone and lower-end standalone, but you can still get the essential experience. So yeah. um, one good example is VR chat actually, because uh, VR chat has worlds that are specific to PC VR users and also uh, standalone users and also how you experience VRs. So I think it is a responsibility of companies to make sure that people can access that. But uh, what they end up offering might um, like, like segment people into uh, two different groups, but um, hopefully like the end result from that uh, won't diverge too much. Like I, I wouldn't like to see that, of course. Like uh, if, if you can go in on a low end or a high end uh, VR headset, you, you can still have a great social experience. You can still yeah. learn the things that you want to. It's just, um, it's just a matter of quality, um, like superficial quality, let's say. Yeah. At that point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've I've noticed especially with the uh, with the computer race in the '90s and, and early 2000s, both Mac and PC kind of coming up. Well, Mac and, and Microsoft, um, you know, both kind of coming up and clashing against each other. And now, when you ask somebody what kind of computer do you want, is it is it a Mac? Is it a is it a PC? So, you know, hopefully we don't get too much of that separation like you had talked about in in virtual reality, which is you know, which kind of headset do you want? Do you want A or do you want B? Do you want the one that develops Developers use, or do you want the one that you know average everyday consumers use? And you know, I, I I couldn't agree more that everybody deserves that positive social experience. And as long as all of the headsets can give consumers access to that, you know, it's it'll be it'll be a beautiful world, semi beautiful world. You know, I'm sure there, you know, there will be other stuff going on like global warming, but <laughs> you know, in in some ways we can we can make the world a better place this way. And, um, you know, especially in your career, did you always know you were going to be involved uh, in this? Did you always know you were going to be uh, involved in social VR and virtual reality and in technology? Or was it something that was kind of sprung on you at one point you realized, oh, OK, this is what I'm transitioning to? No, I actually, uh, when I was entering university uh, for my uh, for my bachelor's degree, I only knew that I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world and experience. And I, I certainly did like um, it, like just having that motivation and just saying yes to the opportunities that come will will allow it to happen. And at a certain point in my life, uh, like I aged out of uh, travel, but I didn't want the, um, the experiences and the chances to meet uh, new people from exotic places. I didn't want any of that to end. And at about that time, uh, social VR came into my life and I said, well, here we go. Um, th this is the next ambition. So, so yeah, uh, there, there was 
like a long period of learning to develop a bit, uh, design, uh, learning how to do research. And then, as I said, uh, with the pandemic, like opportunities uh, started to come. So um, I've been able to put all of that to use. And I feel very, very fortunate for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's again, you've had such a wonderful career. And how did you end up in in Turkey of all places? Were you born and raised in the United States or have you always had a connection to Turkey? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I I came here the first time traveling, I want to say like 15 years ago and, and then ended up moving here about five years later. Um, and like in the goal to just just travel and see things. I, I was, of course, uh, an English teacher for a while mm -hmm. uh, because uh, that easily allows you to live in a foreign country and use your holidays to uh, see other places. Um, but yeah, I finished one job in uh, in South Korea and uh, I just decided to move here because someone invited me because they had a spare room in their apartment. So, uh, but yeah, I ended up uh, getting married here uh, having a child and, uh, just getting some roots here. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can, uh, I can certainly understand why you would want to stay in, uh, Turkey, especially considering marriage and a child and everything that would, that would influence me to stay as well, you know, which is, uh, which is great. And, um, as far as, you know, this technology and, and virtual reality, do you think that VR, although VR is very popular with gaming, do you think VR should be used for humanity first, um, type experiences, or do you think it should continue with gaming because it'll flood more money into the virtual reality industry? Uh, yeah, I, I don't see uh, gaming and humanity as being uh, like ultimately distinct, but but there is a, a type of gaming you might be alluding to, uh, like first-person shooters. And I uh, I personally don't object to people doing that, but but also I'm not entirely comfortable with it either. So like like uh, it's it's up to everybody's. Uh, uh, it's up to everybody's personal uh, like constitution and, and what is normal for them. And if the market moves in that direction, I, I feel a little disappointed by it. Yeah. And uh, but but at the same time, I can understand it, and I don't want to deny people their fun. So yeah. So um, it, to, I can be specific too. I mean, the there are games like uh, Population One uh, yeah. that 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 I tried. Uh, I think one time. And uh, and Mark Zuckerberg claimed this is his favorite game in in Quest. And I listened to him. I, I, I tried it out and I was like, wow, this is a shooting people game. And then I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But, um, but that's that, that's just me. Um, at the same time, I, I love playing paintball, uh, like uh, things that, that mimic like shooting. But it's just um, it, it just feels differently, you know, because like in the back of my mind, I, I just know that guns are a problem you know yeah. so um so as for responsibility uh I, I i don't want to take responsibility away from the individual uh, to choose what what's right for them um but at the same time i want to see more uh like investment and development towards uh other experiences that are more inclusive of like other needs than just uh the the, the killing instinct or uh 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. And 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 I agree. I, I think it's important that we don't take that responsibility away from individuals, but humanity first, I feel, is the way to go with virtual reality because we've seen all the amazing things that it can do, not only through just the what the general public has been able to do, but through people like you and the VR industry and just the world needs more people like you that are doing this good work and doing this good research and I want to thank you so much, Lance, for your contributions to this field and uh, and what you've done. So thank you for your contributions and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, no, I appreciate that. And and I'll just follow up by saying if uh, if people uh, do want to see more uh, humanity centered uh, experiences, just check out uh, festivals like every film festival has a has a VR uh, entry now and and really try to uh, connect with them and see what they're doing because um, because those aren't made for the big market but the messaging is, is just uh, indispensable in, yeah. in my book absolutely well people should 100% join these more humanitarian based experiences these social VR experiences it is good for you. I know it's definitely good for me. So thank you once again for your contributions and for coming on the show. It is Maxwell with the next in podcast. Once again, we will see you every Friday at 5 p.m. Thank you once again, Lance. And uh, we will see you next week. If you want to support our work, you can join free at virtualworldsociety.org to receive regular newsletters and updates. Donate to help fund our projects and work and register to volunteer and get in on the action.